Hey guys, we have Max Devlin on the podcast today. He is going to talk about consciousness. Max, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, I don't have any uh, 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 professional background in the subject, but I've been uh, dealing with it uh, um, sort of as a hobby. Well, pretty much my whole life. I uh, it started out as a as an, uh, electronics repairman and. Uh, got into technology that way. Did a uh, a, a couple of decades of uh, internet consulting work, and uh, and now I'm sort of semi-retired. You asked if somebody wanted to discuss these things, and I've been discussing them with people on online and on Reddit for the last uh, few years. So I I thought I'd give it a shot. I have some some very particular uh, ideas about it because I've in order to try and deal with all of the, well, all of the issues of the world that we're all trying to deal with, all of the issues of consciousness that we're all trying to deal with, uh, and all of the personal issues that I had to deal with, and trying to figure out how how it can all work, and in particular, a few things I, I discovered in researching all of that, and I, so I, I've uh, pretty much had to develop a, a new philosophy from the ground up. I wrote a book about it called Thought Rethought. Uh, the subtitle is Consciousness, uh, Causality, and the Philosophy of Reason. And so that's my background in terms of how I'm approaching it. I'm, I'm hoping this is mostly going to be uh, uh, you asking questions and me trying to answer them. And uh, 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 just... Uh, be aware. I'm not going to be answering them the way uh, you're probably used to hearing them because uh, this is all based on a, on a rather novel uh, philosophical approach. Okay. And it's one that you said you did, you fully came up with this. Theory? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I developed it myself uh, uh, based the, 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 the seed of the whole thing was something I learned back in the, in the nineties uh, some some research, some uh, experiments in uh, 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 neural psychology done by a, a man named Benjamin Libet and some things he discovered about the neuroscience of, of free will is what they call it, even though it's it's obviously it's not about free will because science pretty much makes it clear that there can't really be a thing called free will. Uh, there must be some other explanation for our experiences of consciousness. Dr. Libet tried to uh, explore that and and found something very profound, uh, but it's uh, uh, had difficult. Nobody much knows about it because it's so contrary to what we're expecting to find out about how consciousness works. So with that seed and and trying to deal with uh, issues of language and issues of technology uh, and, and issues of uh, really existential uh, uh, conundrums that, we've all, that we're all very familiar with. Um, I, I pretty much realized I, I had to start from the ground up. So I went back to Socrates and, uh, and started from there and tried to work out exactly how can all of this make the most sense possible and what is it people are missing in terms of what uh, uh, philosophy has to offer and, uh, and, and, and how we think about thinking. 
and that's uh, the basis of my uh, of my philosophy of reason. I call it the POR. Okay, and you you mentioned that your your subreddit and your whole idea is called the New Church of Hope. Did you co- did you coin that term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a bit that's a bit tongue in cheek in 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 some regard. Um, it, it is. Uh, essentially the the organization that i it's aspirational uh in terms of dealing of, of promoting this uh this new philosophy called the new church of hope uh it's not a, a theistic kind of church it's not even like really a church of course because it's you know i mean i'm the only person in it at this point um but that's the 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 reason i did that was be, was to try and uh, emphasize the fact that uh, a lot of this f- philosophical work that I've done over the past three or four decades uh, eventually ended up focusing on uh, morality and the and the kinds of things and and also you know things like the afterlife and 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 other existential issues um, that we that we uh, traditionally associate with a church, but it's not a kind of, you know, worship centered, uh, 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 theistic church at all. In fact, my philosophy is, is, is notably atheistic, but it's not militantly atheistic. It doesn't rely on, uh, uh, assuming that there is no God, but it does support the, the conjecture that, uh, uh, there, there is no God, there can't be a God, but that doesn't matter anyway. We still need to deal with the idea of what God is. Um, so I didn't start out trying to, to solve moral issues. I actually started out from the, from the complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of very cerebral, very intellectual, uh, what I uh, have eventually come to call postmodern, which would be the, 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 the atheistic uh, information processing theory of mind model that uh, that people start out with today that we're taught in in schools. Um, so I, I didn't plan on making it a moral thing, but I realized all of the moral implications it had made it appropriate to to uh, designate the organization that I uh, uh, hope to build around this uh, philosophy. Uh, New Church of Hope. That's the name of the subreddit uh, that I created, which at this point is is mostly just a, a place for a link to my book and uh, a few short essays I've made trying to explain the the general outline of the issues. Okay, and the subreddit. How is that doing? Like you said, you're the only member, but you have. Yeah, what? well, I've I got you have. There, are, there are twenty five. Uh, redditors who have officially joined i've i've interacted with about half a dozen of them um and and currently there's zero activity except for stuff i post myself so basically it's it's about as moribund as a reddit can get a subreddit can get without being uh uh, completely empty yeah and i don't want to go too far down the reddit hole but yeah. Is it is it pretty easy just to start your own subreddit? Like, can I just go and start my own subreddit? Yeah, any redditor can just start a subreddit. You you give it some labels. You you name it whatever you want. You give it some labels. You identify how you're going to be handling. You know, in very general detail, the 
uh, moderation and such like that. And whoever created the Reddit automatically becomes the 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 the, the uh, initial moderator and, and has the power to designate other moderators. It's all very uh, all very simple. Okay, and is there any payoff ever to having a subreddit? Like, if you if you get it popular enough, would you ever be able to like kind of like make money off of it, or is it more just kind of like for your own interest and trying to like build your own brand or whatever? Well, there's no there's no direct way through Reddit to monetize a subreddit, but obviously having a forum that's very popular that has a lot of traffic can be monetized indirectly by making it, you know, by putting in links to things that you want people to buy. And, and I, I, I gotta be honest in a way, that's sort of the approach that I took because the, 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 uh, the, the primary link in the new church of hope Reddit subreddit is a link to my book on Amazon. I I'd love it if people bought that. Um, and it's kind of a, you know, an, an advertising campaign for that book, but not for monetary reasons, just because I want people to read the book. I want people to learn this new philosophy because it is from my own personal experience. And of course, I'm not the best judge of it since I came up with it. But from my own personal experience, it is phenomenally successful in providing uh, a, a, a basis for sound reasoning an emotional uh, happiness uh, uh, and a and a and a way of dealing with the rest of the world, uh, which uh, doesn't interfere with that happiness even when things aren't going necessarily very well. It's it's I, I I hesitate to use the word psychology at all because I don't I'm not really a fan. You cut out. Uh, uh, complete in terms of being able to explain why people behave the way they do. Okay. So you cut out, you cut out a little bit on that. I'm, the, I'm sorry explain, about that. Oh, no problem. The, the explaining of the psychology, uh, why, why don't you like psychology or what were you saying about it? I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan of, of, of soft sciences. I prefer the hard sciences. Yes. Okay. And so you're, <clears throat> First of all, your view on consciousness is, would you say it's more of a hard science than like your own just kind of like belief in terms of like, oh, this is the way we should live or kind of like. Um... They're very, it's very much on the hard science side. It's okay. That's, it's, that's good. It's in terms of, well, exactly how did this evolve and why? What is its adaptation? What is its function? Now, obviously okay. I don't get into the, you know, what are the genetics and what are the molecular uh, uh, sequences that, uh, that that produce uh, human intellect? Uh, because I'm I'm not a neuro uh, uh, I'm not a neurologist or or a, or a neural scientist. Um, but yes, it's it it the 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 one thing about the uh, the philosophy of reason I use POR is that it it it's not ever going to contradict what science has discovered. It's all based on what science has discovered, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it agrees with the way people interpret what that science has discovered. And when you're dealing with consciousness, that becomes a very, very important distinction to make. 
because a lot of people will seize upon anything that neuroscience has discovered and just cut out all the mays and coulds and mites that the actual scientists use when discussing this and just leap forward to all sorts of implications that aren't necessarily, that don't, in fact, gain any uh, validity just because they are based on that science. Uh, they're, they're every bit as much, pretty much, uh, uh, you know, what people want to believe as any of the ancient traditional uh, uh scriptural religions might be yeah correct and i agree with you on the the hard sciences versus the soft sciences obviously the hard sciences you know pretty much kind of have to be proven whereas the soft sciences don't sciences don't but however with psych i actually majored in psychology i'm not using it at all oh, but but um not not even to like i see where you're where you're coming from basically but the thing that i think is good about psychology is that <clears throat> it actually does definitely serve a purpose in terms of like if you go to a therapist and he makes you feel better then well you know obviously i think there's definitely it definitely does, has a good benefit to it you know what it, i mean it, it can um, it provides it provides a framework and a language we can use to discuss things which are otherwise ineffable because they're all occurring inside of our brain the postmodernist would say subjective i don't usually like to use the word subjective any more than i do psychology just because it it kind of uh, uh, connotates that that something that is subjective is therefore not objective and should be more or less dismissed in terms of trying to deal with the factual reality uh part of the 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 premise of the of POR is that that isn't really the case. The fact is that everything that subjectively occurs within our minds objectively occurred somehow within our brains. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know how to measure it, but it definitely and obviously had to have objectively occurred in order for it to have occurred at all in our minds. I don't think that using the word subjective to exempt uh, our experiences, emotions, and feelings, or perspectives and and thoughts and and uh, uh, interpretations from from being legitimate or valid just because they're called subjective or just because they can't be objectively proven the way hard sciences work in objectively proving external physical occurrences, they're no less, they're, they're still physical occurrences. They're just very nuanced, subtle, and undefined physical occurrences that which, which, which are nevertheless events uh, uh, which happen inside of the, uh, the human brain. Yeah. So let me just, let me just, um, tell you where I'm at in terms of consciousness. Um, first of all, I'm I'm actually very new to it. I know no expert at all, and I've had two people on. One of the first guy wrote a book called Consciousness Consciousness in a Nutshell, and he was a very good guest, and he explained a lot of stuff to me. But it seemed like a little bit more base level, which was good for me. Then the last guy I had on was on Saturday, and he's i don't know i'm assuming you know about idealism and um materialism yeah. well he he he's an idealist 
and he explained mm-hmm. he explained to me idealism versus materialism and i still was kind of confused at the end of the conversation he also went into like ndes near-death experiences uh, okay yeah and then also um the physics which he's he's he said he's no expert at physics at all but he definitely knew more than me um when i was asking the questions and then we also went a little bit into like religion and um some other stuff so that's kind of like where i'm at i'm pretty new to it i have listened to a good amount of like i don't even know um like sam harris type people um, uh, yeah jordan peterson yeah. that type of stuff yeah. talk about it yeah. and it's lex friedman and it is very interesting and that's why i'm having you on but so right. in terms well first of all would you say that you're an idealist or a materialist or what kind oh, of consciousness I, do you I'm, I'm entirely a materialist okay only, so one question yes. i sorry one question i had about idealism well actually and materialism too was yeah. when he was explaining to me idealism he was saying that we are living in consciousness. Like when I look at something like the TV or whatever, it's in consciousness, not so much that we, not so much that I am conscious, but I, my body is living inside consciousness. Is that, is that correct? Was that, that seems very like a very weird idea to me that I'm living in consciousness. It it is a weird idea. And basically what that is, is the, the, um, how to approach that because yeah, this idealism and the way uh, idealists deal with consciousness because everything that we can know must be, I'm going to use that word. I said, I don't like to use subjective. It must be something that we are experiencing in order for it to be something we know. Uh, Therefore they say uh, everything is, subjective everything is consciousness but when you say everything is consciousness unfortunately it makes the word consciousness kind of useless because it's way too vague because it applies to anything and any word that applies to anything becomes uh meaningless in terms of explaining things the the word thing is often one of my favorite examples because we use it so necessarily and so desperately, but so uh, universally. Uh, Anything can be a thing, even a thing that isn't a thing is a thing. So we we use that as a kind of generic catch-all idea of ideas. What a postmodernist, another word I try and avoid, would call a concept. I don't think concepts exist. What does exist is ideas and words. These things exist. And whenever somebody uses the word concept, I I try and nail down, are you talking about an idea or are you talking about a word? And if you can't nail it down into one of those two categories or a category which might be either, which is generally the one they, they backpedal to, to say, well, a concept just means word or idea. And I say, okay, well, which one were you talking about? A word or an idea? And the, the, they will refuse to nail it down because I think they need this uh, external reality of uh, things to be something that, that, that ignores the, the premise that that idealist you were talking to set, which is everything occurs in consciousness. 
as far as we know. But that's only as far as we know. The truth is everything occurs outside of consciousness. Consciousness didn't exist until human beings evolved. And the whole universe lack of consciousness. Does that make any sense? Yeah, you cut out a little bit at the at the I'm end. Sorry. I think I think the problem is my phone, every time the screen goes off, it's gonna cut me out. Oh, is that what it's doing? Oh man. Yeah. You have to like yeah. somehow keep the screen open. Um Yeah. Yeah. So um if you could just go over the last part, because I think the last part cut out, so we missed that. Well, it. Uh, I'm not sure how much the last part was, though. Like ten seconds, probably. Okay. Five, five. It's fine. If yeah, I think I think I got the overall point, but uh, um, I, I was just summarizing. Yeah, yeah, no problem. But so what I'm so what so I'm still having a hard time under even understand. And I want to get obviously to you with the with your materialism viewpoint, and then not only that, but your new Church of Hope, but. As far as the idealism goes, and then also postmodernism, I wanted to ask you before I forget about postmodernism, because I don't know too much about that. But I, I know I've heard the word a lot, and I, and I kind of think I know exactly. what it is. Exactly. We hear the word a lot, but nobody really knows how to nail down what it is. Yeah. Well, so first of all, one question I had was you said you, you yeah. want somebody to be clear about what is a word and what is a what is an idea. Couldn't a word kind of be an idea in a sense? Well, that. Like, the, 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 my, my POR approach is to say that they're really the same thing based on location. When it's inside your brain, it's an idea. When it escapes your cranium somehow, it becomes a word. doesn't matter if you write it down or you say it or you sign it or whatever. Uh, uh, words are just ideas outside of the, the, the confine of our consciousness. Uh, so so the, in that way, they become physical but that's as physical as they ever get. The, 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 the standard approach that most people use because they know the word, because they've been told the word, uh, is, to call, uh, uh, is to say that there are these things called concepts which have logical uh, uh, rigidity, which have rigor, which have legitimacy, which have uh, quantitative uh, 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 logical limitation and, and precision – um, because uh, they believe, and this is a, an article of faith, uh, they believe that all of these concepts put together would somehow uh, explain the, the physical mechanisms of the universe. Perspect From my perspective in the POR philosophy, uh, there's just words and ideas, and uh, they're the same thing depending on whether or not they've They've, they're, they're inside our heads or outside our heads, and they don't ever get any more precision or logic than whatever it is we provide in our usage of them. So that's why I kind of rejected the idea that there are concepts, because the, that's the idea that, that ideas, once they're made words, uh, have a precision and a logic uh, that uh, that would allow it all to make sense in a quantitative mathematical way, which, as I said, in order to develop this POR, I had to go all the way back to Socrates and identify exactly where that that issue 
first arose in standard philosophy, and I call it Socrates' error, which was in, uh, I'm not sure if you've read much Plato, uh, but there was no. a dialogue. Well, there was a dialogue <laughs> that Plato wrote about Socrates. Some uh, guy named Mino um, asked Socrates, can virtue be taught? And Socrates said, in order to know whether or not, in order to answer your question and know whether or not virtue can be taught, we must first know what it is, which basically he was saying, you have to define the word in order to be able to teach it. And uh, there are many ways of approaching this that, that enable that to make sense, but I saw so many that didn't make sense. Because, for instance, you take something like music or you take something even like mathematics. You don't need to d define what that is with any precision and logical rigor in order to teach that subject. Although these days, of course, most uh, curriculum that would be teaching music will start out with a description of this is what music is. But that description is not going to be rigorous enough to to uh, uh, impress Socrates because Socrates had this technique where he would get someone to define a word and then he would invent this uh, some hypothetical uh, uh, circumstance which showed that description that definition to be insufficient and he would conclude by saying so I don't know what that word means I don't know what virtue is which is great if all you're trying to do is be a philosopher and never answer any questions, but doesn't give us any real practical uh, uh, value. Um, and things didn't end well with Socrates because that's effectively all he could do was question everything. Now, questioning everything is great. And the, the, the me methods and mechanisms that Socrates came up with for, for, uh, deriving ignorance for rejecting knowledge are vitally important in all sorts of ways these days, specifically in terms of science and law. When we're talking about a science lab, we need to start ignorant. We need to not make assumptions about what we're going to find out. We need to accept our ignorance and start with that and careful measurements and empirical tests. And from that, we can discover things through science. With law, we need to start out with ignorance because of presumption of innocence. Somebody comes into a court and they're accused of a crime. We can't start out assuming we know the answer to whether or not they committed it. We must accept that we should be and must as much as possible be ignorant of whether or not the guy is guilty. And so ignorance is important and good, but only in those kinds of specific settings, like a science lab or a courtroom. When you try and apply it in real life, you just end up with the kind of, well, frankly, the kind of mess we're seeing in society today where yeah, political divisiveness and, and violence and anxiety and depression and drug addiction and all of these things, these all come from uh, misapplying, over-interpreting the idea that Socrates first came up with, 
of uh, uh, cultured ignorance, of, of not making assumptions about things. Okay. And yeah, this is this is a lot to unpack. So yeah. we, we probably have to kind of like go step by step for me because um a lot Back of the... me up as, as as often as you want because I know that's how it goes. I've been I've been formulating these things for decades. So I've got all sorts of you know uh, 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 explanations that go way beyond what most people are 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 uh, uh, able to follow. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I've already dealt with all of the questions that you're probably going to come up with. But that's why I wanted to be on your podcast is so you can ask me those questions. I can know what they are and I'll try and answer them. Don't worry about stopping me and asking more and more questions. That's why I'm here. OK, yeah, thanks. And it's it's all just going to be questions, basically. But um, I don't think I, I don't think I have anything to add. But I mean, that is kind of like the that is what makes a good philosopher, right, is like somebody who. Not not me, but you, like somebody who not only is answer, asking the questions, but then you're also able to kind of like think in a way that's um, like the way that you're talking is like, I don't understand it. And that's probably what makes you a good philosopher, right? Because most people don't <laughs> understand like what you're even talking about. Like when I've taken philosophy, like um, for instance, when yeah. he was trying to explain to me idealism, I still don't understand the idea that every that we are in consciousness. I don't get. I don't under. I I have a really hard time understanding that. So like so. For, well, for one, you well, mentioned, let me you mentioned let Plato me, and Socrates. Um, okay, let me let me skip skip back just a second here because I, I just want to give you my honest opinion, even though this isn't like you know authoritative philosophical. Uh, uh, criteria but my honest opinion is the reason that didn't really make sense to you is because it's not true because <laughs> it doesn't actually make sense when you hear things that do actually make sense even if you don't agree with them you can kind of understand that they make sense uh, well what's weird about that is he said in his mind because he so, so he, he lived in Saudi Arabia so he lives in the east or whatever so I was okay. almost kind of wondering because he lives in the East and they have a different perspective than we do. He said that what he said, idealism is more intuitive to him than it is to me. And I'm like, maybe that's just where you live and you, you, you know what I mean? You kind of want to see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, like, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's really uh, what's going on. It's just very sorry about that, Micah. No problem. No problem. Is there's a way that you can that you can keep the screen on if you go? Yeah, into like yeah, I, 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 yeah. I finally managed to adjust that after okay, I'd already okay. lost you. No problem. So let's just pick up where we left off. I probably should have just used Zoom, but I, I thought since we're just doing audio, I could use this app. But I had a problem last time with this app too doing this. But yeah, um, learn. yeah. So what 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 were you saying again? Oh, well, I don't know where where exactly did I drop out. Oh man, I it's I uh, was I was rambling madly as I usually do. Why don't we just uh, reset completely to a question? Okay, so okay, so the question that I have <laughs> is well, I was going to ask you about um. There's probably kind of like yeah, I was just curious about Plato and Socrates. Okay, well, so first of all, when I was talking, okay, so we were talking about idealism versus materialism, and he was saying yeah. this is where we this is where we were at. And he right. was saying how to him it's intuitive. To me, it's not. But to be honest with you, I don't even know if materialism is intuitive to me. So the way that I look at the world is that I I think that I'm conscious 
and I look at this desk and this desk is a, a real desk, just the way that I see it. And, um, you know, it's like, there's nothing weird or mystical about it. It's just what I see is really there. Right. But what he's saying is that, no, I guess like we're all in consciousness, which I don't even really know what that means. Well, what he's saying and, is and the one, only... one th real quick. One thing that yeah. I one thing that I wanted to ask him to explain it the easiest way possible for someone like me to understand is, is he trying to say that like we're living inside of like a giant like the universe is a giant mind, and we're just kind of like a dream taking place in the mind? Is that how well, it is? Well, he may have been. Different idealists have different ideas. But they all start with the same premise, which is that desk you look at in front of you, you knock on it, physically there. But the only way you can tell it is physically there is through your senses and your mind being aware of the information coming, the data that those senses, senses are, are providing for you. So you can't know anything exists outside of you with the same certainty, with the same uh, 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 absolute knowledge that you know you are conscious. Now, uh, the, the materialist aspect uh, g goes back, forget Socrates and Plato, you jump forward uh, many centuries to Descartes. And you're familiar with Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Cogito ergo sum. Have you heard that? Yeah. All right. Well, basically, Descartes was trying to do exactly what we're trying to grapple with. He was trying to figure out what's going on. How do we know anything? And what can we really say about both the external universe and our internal consciousness? And he realized that he could start with this simple, logically, completely inviolate truth which is it, the, the, the actual uh, original quote was uh, uh, dubito, what is it? Dubito ergo cogito, cogito ergo sum. I doubt, therefore I think, I think, therefore I am. We usually just ignore the first part and just accept the I think, therefore I am part. That's the way people say it. But they're really talking about the, the, the dubito part, the I doubt part. In questioning whether or not we exist, we prove that we must exist because if we didn't exist, we wouldn't be able to question that existence. That's the basis of Descartes' cogito ergo sum. And it's completely unquestionably true. It can't be denied. You, meaning, of course, you can deny it, but it wouldn't do you any good because denying it proves it. You must exist in order to deny that by by questioning whether you exist you are proving you exist so he started with that and that uh, uh is kind of the basis of all materialism is we can start knowing that we exist but in order to get past that one spot in order to start talking about the external universe the empirical objective universe the desk in front of you you have to get somehow outside of simply the fact that you exist. I believe where we, where we actually dropped out, I now realize, was when I asked you if you are familiar with solipsism. Are you familiar with solipsism? He brought that up last time. And exactly. um, 
Yeah. So, so when I was asking him, what, what are the theories? There's, there's idealism, there's materialism. And then I was like, well, solipsism, it, I was, solipsism no, I is a like, kind yeah. of, solipsism is a kind of idealism, which basically says it is possible and it's irrefutable that the, it is possible. There's no way to prove this is not true, that you are the only thing in existence. Your consciousness is all that exists and you're just imagining everything else. Now, it might be hard to, to believe that you're imagining the desk in front of you or you're imagining me talking to you on this app, but it's possible. So solipsism is like the root of all idealism and most idealism will reduce to solipsism eventually if you chase it down the rabbit hole far enough it's always going to come down to well you can't really know anything except that you exist well that's where socrates well, i'm sorry that's where descartes started with cogito ergo sum he said you, we know i know that i exist that's all i can possibly know for absolute certain now what else can i determine based on that premise logically and he realized unfortunately nothing there's absolutely nothing you can go beyond cogito ergo sum with the same kind of logical validity that cogito ergo sum itself has i call this the existential wall it's basically the fact that our perceptions our consciousness is always sealed behind an impenetrable barrier from the external universe that we only know exists or rather only presume exists because of the sense data that we're getting. And we know our senses aren't perfect. So it could be that that sense data is incorrect. It could even be that it's purposefully incorrect. We might all be brain in a, a brain in a jar. And you know, you might be a brain in a jar with a supercomputer feeding you sense data to convince you all the same sense data that would come through your senses about the desk in front of you and the uh, and the chips you're eating and the uh, and the voices you're hearing that's all data that can be that can be uh, computerized and it could be fed into your brain directly rather than coming from the organic original actual actuality of the physical universe around you it's possible it is impossible to refute this possibility. So solipsism and brain in a jar, and eventually you get to all sorts of other kinds of idealism, they all have the same root, which is the existential wall. We know with the same certainty uh, anything about what's going on outside the existential wall from our consciousness as well as we can know what is inside the wall, what our consciousness actually is. We know that we are experiencing things. We know that you, you know that you're experiencing the desk being there, but that's not necessarily the same thing as the desk actually being there. And most discussions of consciousness pretty much have to end there. And that's why materialism versus idealism is pretty much all you can get when you when you try and discuss this in a in a general sort of uh, 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 you know online forum kind of discussion 
without really diving down into the rabbit holes of philosophy or neuroscience, because really that's, that's where we're stuck. Now, what Descartes did to get past this spot is called the Cartesian circle. And basically what he did was a little, a little uh, uh, logical trick, a <laughs> little game playing, semantic game playing, where he said, I must presume that there is a benevolent deity that created a rational universe for me to exist in. And therefore, I can discover things about that universe because the universe responds rationally. And it does. Everything about the universe is rational other than human consciousness because it all follows the laws of physics. It can't do anything else. Your desk works the way it does, sits there and does nothing and has no consciousness but is a physical object because of the laws of physics. Now, of course, hundreds of years later, we started getting into quantum physics and everything started getting seriously weird after that um, because things kind of break down once you get to those realms of the, of the tiniest quantum of energy and, and particles. But in the day-to-day -day world that we live in, you can pretty much rely on the Cartesian circle. The fact that Yes, there is a rational universe, a universe which performs according to mathematically uh, predictable uh, or mathematically precise uh, uh, laws of physics. But if you start out with idealism, well, that could all just be an illusion, too. That's just something you think in your mind. You can't ever prove anything outside of your mind all you can do is convince your mind that it's been proven, which is why they say, you know, we're all in consciousness and that's really all there is. And that's the idealist approach. The, the materialist approach is, is more in keeping with Descartes' approach, uh, which is there does seem to be a physical universe outside of our perceptions so the fact that our perceptions is lim are limited doesn't mean that that universe doesn't exist. It simply means that we can't have absolute knowledge of it. And science doesn't give us absolute knowledge of anything. It provides us, oh, did I just cut out again? No, you didn't. Okay, because my screen went off, so I thought I did. I don't know why it did. I turned that off. Uh, but basically, the Cartesian circle, the problem with that is he had to invent God. He had to say there is a benevolent deity that, that provided us as a gift a rational universe in which to exist. And that's what's called uh, a Cartesian dualism, which is the whole, you know, is, is it just material? Is everything in the universe only what is materially present in the universe? Now, that, that would include things like time and space and energy, not just the physical objects. These things materially exist or are material manifestations of existence. And that's what materialism is. Materialism is basically just the only things that exist are things that physically exist. And idealism is the only thing that exists is your consciousness 
and it simply perceives everything else. And so that those other things on the other side of the existential wall, they don't have the same logical validity that your consciousness does. So they prefer to start with consciousness and work from there. Whereas materialists prefer to start with the physical universe and see consciousness as an emergent property of the human brain. Yeah. Well, materialism makes more sense to me. Once again, I don't know. If, I don't know if, you know, why, like if it's because we live in the West and he lives in the East or whatever, but he was also saying that, and this surprised me, but he was also saying that Plato and Socrates and everyone before a long time ago actually were idealists. And that well, seems weird to me that like Plato and Socrates and all those older guys, instead of thinking, okay, my brain, my brain is producing consciousness. They thought, no, I am in consciousness. Well, that kind of surprised they, me, right? Back, back then they didn't make the distinction between idealism and, and materialism because they weren't familiar enough with the material of the universe. As far as they knew, everything was just whatever the gods had decreed which is an idealist notion, even if it results in physical objects. So in, in a way, they were all materialists or uh, uh, idealists, but only because until we learned enough about physics to recognize, and this you know, pretty much started with, with uh, uh, Newton and his uh, 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 calculus being so unbelievably useful in predicting the movement of physical objects and we started to accept uh descartes uh, 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 uh premise that there is a physical a rational universe outside of our senses that isn't limited by the parts of it that we sense but is rational throughout nevertheless um but uh, none of that really became a, a super major issue. You know, that's when materialism started, was people believing that Newton pretty much proved, or, you know, uh, uh, people following Newton proved that material does follow physical laws. There are laws of physics, which are outside of our minds, because anybody who attempts to discover these laws of physics, no matter who they are or where they are on the planet, they're going to, if they're doing it carefully enough, if they're using real measurements, they're going to discover the exact same laws of physics that everybody else is. And so this commonality of, of the uh, objective physical universe, that didn't exist back in the days of Socrates and Plato. They, they uh, as far as they knew, everything was uh, just consciousness, but only because they didn't make a distinction between they they didn't they didn't know that there would be any that there was any reason or ability to make a distinction between their perception of a thing and the thing itself. Although, yeah, but but intuitively, like I just like the way that I look at things, and I was going to ask you the question of why can't I just think like why can't we just think this way where it's like i believe that i am a being with consciousness i believe that my girlfriend is conscious i believe my family my friends you are conscious and everything is just the way that it appears like 
why does there have to be all this be, weird philosophical because, kind of conjecture? Because there's, because there's a jump there between your first two things, even though they seem unremarkably identical. Believing in your own consciousness, that's not an option. You have to believe in your own consciousness. You can't deny your own consciousness because of cogito ergo sum. If you can doubt your consciousness, that means you have consciousness. But knowing other people are conscious becomes a lot. That's a that's a leap. That's a, a conjecture that you're making. Why, uh, though? Why? Why can't why can't I just believe that when I talk well, to, you, when I'm talking to you well, right you now? Can. You can you're you really can there. believe anything. You can believe anything you want. The real question is, can you convince anyone else of that belief? And of course, that you know brings up the idea of, well, who else is there to convince? And if there are other people to convince, well, one of them's your girlfriend and she's got consciousness. It doesn't make any sense not to assume that every human being has consciousness, more or less, in general terms. And yes, you're right. That seems to make sense to us. And it seems... It, I understand why you think uh, it, it. there's no reason to presume otherwise, but A, there's always a re reason to presume otherwise in philosophy because just the ability to presume otherwise means you should make that presumption and see where it leads if you're actually trying to do philosophy. And B, like I said, there is actually a leap there between knowing you are conscious and and presuming that other people are conscious. Now in POR, I handle this with, with what I call, uh, 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 well, it basically it comes down to the theory of mind. What, do you, what, mean by theory of, what do you mean by POR, by the way? Uh, uh, philosophy of reason, the, the philosophy that I developed that I wrote about in my book, Thought, Rethought. And that is, your, that is your, you coined that the, term? Philosophy and the philosophy of reason. Of reason. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just what I call it. Now, of course, the problem is, uh, uh, people have been talking about philosophies of reason for hundreds of years, for centuries. Um, but I've got a particular reason for uh, uh, choosing that uh, 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 moniker and, and sticking with it, even though it can cause uh, uh, some confusion. But that's one of the reasons why I always shorten it to POR. And I just mean my philosophy of reason when I say POR. So basically, my philosophy—that's what POR is, which is, is the whatever, new, which is the new Church of Hope, right? Which is the new Church of Hope, yes. Yeah. Well, the only problem—the only problem that I have with calling it the new Church of Hope is that yeah. it kind of sounds like a like an actual church. Like you know what I mean? Like when you it, told me about it, I was like, "Is this an actual church?" Or it, it, exactly, and 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 I did kind of do that on purpose because, like I said, the reason I called it New Church of Hope. Uh, is because I wanted to make clear it does, in fact, have moral uh, import. It has uh, a moral connotations, and, and uh, uh, that isn't something that we should be trying to divorce from intellectualism as if there's a logic that we can do independent of emotions and morality um, and then only choose, you know, and, and emotions and morality are simply a, 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 a backpedaling, a, a, a way of, 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 of dealing with when, when, our, when our logic doesn't give us the answers we want. The, the truth yeah, is we can't really do it with all, all with logic. People assume and, they can, but it doesn't really work. 
Well, you kind of can't. Well, I was first of all going to ask you, do you actually, it sounds like you do because of your, because of your POR, but do you actually believe that there are morals and where did morals come? I, I don't really want to go too off this because I know that we're going down the consciousness right, route, but right. well, um, that's, do you, but, real, real well, quick, do you, do, hold on. Do you believe in morals? And then also where did they come from? And then also, um, you said that you can't really deal with it with logic, but in a way you kind of can deal with morality, not like a God-given morality, but like you can deal with morality and logic kind of right. Because like, if I treat you well you, and you treat me well, then you, you can try. That and like yeah, a... that's the basic of ethics. The, 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 that's, that's what's called the uh, recipro reciprocity. Um, the, if you start with a basic idea of uh, reciprocity, you know, I, I teach you, uh, you know, I treat you well and you treat me well. Um, then we then can just all fine. get along. And that works yeah. for trivial things. But when things start getting really complicated, that just isn't enough. Now, the way like, I like, approach like when it, there's Like when there's no food or something and you're like, damn. I yeah, need, exactly. I food exactly. And, the, yeah. The, right. Right. When you're when you're stuck in a when you're stuck in a, <laughs> a, a, a life raft with four other people and there's only enough people, there's only enough food for two other people for, for two days. And it's going to take you a week to get to a, uh, uh, the, the nearest port. What are you going to do when you're really dealing with morality, not just in that kind of extreme situation, but in a, in a, a, a more realistic way than just, well, if you treat me well and I treat you well, well, what exactly does treat well mean? You know, uh, uh, are you are you actually treating me well as I am treating you? And these kinds of questions will always come up, uh, and you can always hand wave them. And you can say, ah, oh, that's just overcomplicating things. But that's what morality is. The way I approach it is this: morality is something that is inextricably linked with consciousness. Any conscious being is going to observe the existence of morality. It's like a dimension of the universe apart from the three dimensions of space and one of time, but you can only perceive it intellectually. You can only perceive it with consciousness, but it's just as real as any other, pers uh, as any other dimension. So we don't invent, <clears throat> excuse me, we, <clears throat> we don't invent morality we observe it. Now we observe it unclearly where we don't all agree on the same morality, but nevertheless, it is a, a, an inherent aspect of existence, even if it isn't a physical property of objects. In fact, it can't be a physical property of objects. Everything else external to our consciousness in the in the rest of the physical universe is completely amoral. There's no morality one way or the other. Doesn't matter if it's a desk or a or a, or a lion or 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 a whale uh, or a or a a a, a bee. Uh, none of those things have any moral dimension to them, other than what we observe in them. So morality isn't something we invent, but is something that only we can perceive because we're conscious, but only because we're the only ones that are conscious. If there were conscious animals, they would behave in whatever way they believe, they perceive morality to be. If there were space aliens with consciousness, 
then they would also do the same. Now, the real question, of course, is, is there any commonality between the morality of, say, human beings and an animal species and space aliens? And I believe that there is, but it is more fundamental than most people are used to dealing with and would like it to be. They want morality to be a whole, how should we behave guidebook. But really all morality comes down to uh, honesty. All other aspects of morality are just complexities that result from honesty and or the lack of honesty. And when we're, when we're talking about the more complicated parts of morality, such as, you know, uh, uh, not killing each other or, or uh, uh, stealing food or stealing anything for that matter, when you're talking about those kinds of things, uh, you have to start getting into all sorts of epistemological ideas of, of, of what those things are. And that gets so complicated that you, again, have to retreat to basic Honesty. Can we be honest about our feelings and our actions? And that's where the link comes between consciousness and and uh, uh, our our the the morality of our behavior, and whether or not we're being honest about our intentions, our goals, our reasons, and our purposes. Yeah, well, one one question I could ask is, yeah, you know, how do like, um, like how do you like does you know is how do you know if someone's being honest or whatever? Like, um, well, that's that's why that's why morality is hard. If you can't know because they're on the other side of that existential wall from everyone else, everyone's got their own existential wall. We're all behind our each individual existential wall, and honesty is something that can't easily be judged of course it can be you know the same way you know you we know whether someone's being honest in a courtroom or in a, a science lab or in a normal conversation we see whether or not their statements correlate well with other things that we believe we know there isn't any absolute way to do it but that doesn't mean that you can't tell at all whether or not someone's being honest. Now, the real question is, comes down to whether or not we're being honest with ourselves. And that's something that you can only know yourself and whether or not you have inner peace based on your statements, because you know you're being honest, not just honest with other people about yourself, but literally honest with yourself about yourself. And that, yeah, well, what about what about you mentioned animals? Like, is right. there any well, honest, is there any honesty in animals? Was like, I'm, is there I'm, any well, honesty without talking? Like, without, there, without there's not exactly. Well, there's nothing but honesty in animals if you're going to use the word honesty for animals. Now, I'm an extremist on this. I'm going to admit this up front. Uh, most people will reject that position just on its face. I don't believe any animals have consciousness. They, there is nothing behind their, their – they have no minds. They do not have intentions. Animals are just evolutionary robots. They perform in response to stimuli based on sense data in whatever way their genetics 
programs them to do. Now, this can cause such complex behavior that human beings who are conscious and have theory of mind often want to project consciousness into animals because that seems like an easier way of explaining what they're doing. Well, he thought this and he wanted that. But there isn't really, although they have brains, they don't have the human brain, which provides the consciousness we experience. So they're really just kind of robots without any souls, without any consciousness, without any mind guiding their choices. Yeah, but isn't, don't they say that consciousness, like you, um, what it's like, what it's like to be a bat or whatever? You've heard that, right? What it's like to be a, that that's theory of mind which i mentioned earlier yeah the basis yeah the basis of consciousness probably, is theory of mind. have some sort of feeling right like they like you're kind of presuming that they're almost like a robot in the sense they don't exactly. have any feeling, no but, i'm not i'm stating how, flat out they are not kind of a they are no more robot. conscious than a robot would be but how do, very you know, how do you know? How do you know they don't have? How do you know they don't actually have feeling? I would assume that they do have some sort of feeling. Well, you can because if you if you not to sounds bad, but like if you hit a dog, it's gonna it's gonna get hurt. It's gonna you know I mean? it's gonna react. It's gonna react the way that sense stimuli causes it to react based on its genetics and operand conditioning. There won't be any thought or experience or mind or choice behind how it reacts, it will simply react as it is programmed to do. Well, that leads us to the whole free will thing. So can, exactly. can you say, can you yeah. say that about us? Can you say that even though we think we are no making decisions, we're really not, we're, we don't, we don't have any, free, so you believe that we do have no, free we're not. will then? Well, that's, that's really the, the nut of, of uh, that's the, the kernel uh, that that grew into the 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 tree of the philosophy of reason, is uh, uh, work by Benjamin Libet back in the 1980s. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on, on this podcast or previously. You did. You Doc, mentioned Benjamin Libet, yeah. Right, right. Benjamin Libet, and what he did was let me let me explain. Now, this isn't, a, you know, a, I'm not reading from a scientific paper. I'm just going to give a general description of how such ex, uh, experiments would work and what they show. Imagine this scenario. You take a subject, or you are a subject, and you set them in front of a screen that's showing a slideshow, and you give them a thumb switch. And anytime they want, they can just hit the thumb switch and it'll switch the picture from one to the next. There's no order to it. There's no uh, uh, no meaning to the particular pictures. It's just whenever they feel like it, they're looking at one picture, they feel like it, switching it, they hit the thumb switch and it switches to the next picture. Now, while they're doing that, you've got sensors all over their head. This is the way Libet did it. You've got sensors all over the head that, are, that you're recording uh, signals, the electrical impulses inside their brain. Now, you don't have to know what these signals mean, what the, the impulses, uh, what their importance are, or you don't have to uh, decide how they correspond to thoughts, intentions, or, or emotions, or feelings, or 
You cut out again. So it's so it's before. Am I still here? Yeah, you cut out for like thirty seconds. Oh, 30 seconds. I'm so sorry about this. No problem. Um. Anyway, you have this. The the did did I get to the uh, signals? The brain signals that are being recorded. You just record a bunch of brain signals. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to. You don't have to know what they mean. So he's recording all these signals, and he uses the computer to identify the necessary and sufficient relationship between the various signals, which, uh, which indicates that the thumb switch is about to be pressed. All right, it's gotta occur before the thumb switch is pressed. It has to only ever occur just before the thumb switch is pressed. And it always has to occur just before the thumb switch is pressed. And you use a computer and you find this moment of choice because that's what you've identified is the moment the brain has decided it's going to push the button and switch the picture. Now there's a propagation delay because after that, that thought, that choice has to propagate through the neural network of the brain through the nerve cells, down the arm to the muscles that actually move the thumb. So there's a couple hundred milliseconds delay there. But just before each time the thumb switch is pressed, there is a particular set uh, relationship uh, between all the signals, which identifies the necessary and sufficient moment of choice. So once you've got that identified physically, then you change the apparatus so that it's no longer the thumb switch that's actually actually switching the pictures, but rather you're using the brain readings. When the brain readings show that a choice, the choice has been made, and again, this, this choice uh, uh, circumstances, setting set of, of signals never occurs other than just before the thumb is uh, pressed and always occurs just before the thumb is pressed. So then you have the slideshow change based on that, on the, on the computer brain signals. Now, of course, you have to allow for the propagation delay. So the computer detects the moment of choice, and then it waits the, what, however many hundred milliseconds it's gonna be before the thumb would normally push the button and then it switches the slide. Now, if everything works the way we think it does, both in terms of the whole apparatus and, and Libet's experiment, and most importantly of all, human brains and conscious choices, if everything works the way the theory of mind, if everything works the way we think it does, the subject shouldn't even notice any difference. If you switch from using the thumb switch, to using the computer to change the pictures. But that isn't what Libet found. What Libet found is that unerringly, every single time, without exception, all of the subjects report that the slideshow anticipated their decision by just a fraction of a second, just a little tiny little bit, just before they were hit the thumb switch, uh, the picture had changed. By shifting how long the delay is by waiting an extra dozen or so milliseconds, 
Libet could reinstitute the no apparent change condition so that the people sitting there in front of the slideshow hitting the button had no idea that it was no longer the button controlling the pictures, but instead was the choice, the, the computer identifying the moment of choice in their brain. So what this proved is that although our normal understanding of how our human consciousness, our free will, as it were, our self-determination, as I call it, works, our, our decisions come first. And the decision results in the choice, which is the physical brain action of starting the uh, muscles moving. And then the action of actually hitting the button occurs after. So it's decision first, then choice, then action. But what Libet proved was that it does not work that way. It actually works. The, con the brain, unconsciously, the brain makes the choice before our minds do. Our minds feel like they made the choice about 12 milliseconds after the brain has irrevocably made that choice. It can't be changed. The nerve cells are already firing and that signal is on the way to the thumb. You can't stop it from happening. But your mind doesn't find out about it until about 12 milliseconds after the choice happened. And at that moment, we come up with a decision, which isn't a a selection of whether or not to press the button. We, we're already in the process of pressing the button. The, the thumb just hasn't moved yet. Instead, the mind comes up with an explanation for why it made that choice. Oh, I got bored with that picture. I felt like moving on to the next. Oh, that one was too disturbing. I feel like moving on to the next. I'm bored. I'm just going to hit the button randomly. It doesn't matter what the explanation they came up with for why they wanted to change the picture if you if there wasn't that extra 12 millisecond delay a dozen or so a 12 to 15 millisecond delay then it always felt to them like the slideshow anticipated their choice now never once did the slide change without them also then 12 milliseconds later choosing and never once did it fail to change when they hit the button. They wouldn't sit there and hit the button over and over and over again without the slide changing, even though the button was not hooked up to the slideshow. It always worked. There was just this extra 12 millisecond delay because our brains, and this is a, a, a hard lesson to understand and to learn and to accept. Our brains make all of our choices about a dozen milliseconds before our minds find out about them and decide to do that. So that's why okay. free will doesn't really exist. But self-determination does because that coming up with an explanation for why we did it, that's not just a that's just not just a throwaway, oh you're a you're a an, an impotent passive passenger in your own body kind of thing that's a that's a a an approach to understanding that's the ability to have the chance to understand why we made that choice 
It can't change the choice we made. That choice has already been made. But it can inform our brains about how we feel about it, about what could have made it necessary or unnecessary, and about whether or not the next time we make a choice, our brains are going to do it the same way. And that's where self-determination comes from. Self-determination is not the ability, it's not free will. It's not the ability to control your body. Instead, it is the ability to decide why you're doing what you're doing. <clears throat> now that gets into teleologies, which get more complex, forward and backward teleologies, and whether or not it's cause and effect or whether or not it's, it's intentions and goals. Um, I, I'm not going to get into that right now uh, uh, until you ask about it. But that's the, that's the essence of free will not existing, but self-determination still existing. And that's why my philosophy ends up being very radical, even though it actually explains human behavior a lot better than the standard explanations, because it rejects this free will. And most standard explanations have difficulty doing that without saying, oh, that means we're just robots, just like animals are. And we don't really make choices. We just think we make choices. Well, the truth is we don't make choices. Our brains do, just like animals do. But our minds, our consciousness still exists and makes decisions, makes determinations, I should say. And those decisions or determinations aren't in control of what we do but rather instead inform us about why we did them. And that's why it comes back to the morality of honesty and whether or not you're being honest about your explanations for why you're doing things. Okay. And so, yeah, that was a lot. And I have uh, a couple yeah. different Go questions on, on it, but Go no on. problem. I mean, um, um, it, you know, it's good that you talk a talk a lot as opposed to not, not much at all but it's just um just a lot well, this of is why questions. i wrote it down in a book so you can always go back and try and try and reread it so you can make sense of it because i understand it's it's yeah too different from it's it's different and it's intricate and and i end up just uh, babbling forward because i know where it's going to end up but i know i i tend to lose people along the way because it isn't what we're used to thinking about how our well, consciousness works. No, so what are you for questions? sure. It for sure. It for sure made sense. And all of this consciousness talk that I've been having is confusing. So it's not just your your take on it. It's all of it. But um, <laughs> you're in right. terms, yeah, in terms of in terms of what you just said, to recap it, I guess I would like yes, like well, first of all, you you mentioned the brain and the mind. Like, what do you think is the difference between the brain and the mind? I kind of always think of them as being kind of like one and the same. Right. Well, that's that's the mind-body problem is are they one in the same? And and the the mind is the part of the brain that we're experiencing. It's consciousness. The brain is the actual physical organ. Okay, but still I would still think that the actual physical organ is is the mind in the sense that it's processing what the mind is doing right right exactly like kind of which simultaneously is, which is the problem the mind does exist within the brain it's, the mind is an emergent property of the brain that's what consciousness is is mind um 
it's an emergent property of the brain though it's not the brain itself okay but moving past that like you basically said we don't have free will in the sense that when we make the decision we're not actually really processing the decision we're kind of just acting on instinct but then it sounds like what you're saying is later on when we think back to what we did that kind of informs well decisions. Uh, uh, the the brain makes choices but we're not talking about a later later on we're not talking about a, a retrospective you know how it all turned out kind of thinking in terms of the self-determination decision-making, although obviously that's a good idea and it's a good thing and we do that. But remember, we're talking about just a 12 millisecond gap. That's a very, very short period of time. So it's really only enough to know for sure that the choice has occurred before our conscious decision has occurred. But it hasn't occurred much further back then you know than that it's just still immediately occurred the uh electrical signals at, that result from that choice are still propagating through our brains one of the things that our brains do with it is the whole mind thing the mind self-determination the explanation of why we did it uh, the consideration of the circumstances, the selection of whether or not we liked what we just did. All of that is retrospective, but it's very immediate still. It's only 12 milliseconds behind the actual choice that we made. So we're, they, our feeling of control of our bodies comes from the fact that that delay is so short. So we can still feel like we're in control of our bodies. But if you look at the hard examples, the spots where it gets really difficult to know for sure if we are really in control of our bodies, uh, can think, uh, for instance, of, uh, of people with uh, uh, medical disorders that cause twitching or something like that, we can't really be in control of our bodies consciously the way we think we are, the way free will and the standard uh, a model of how consciousness works says that we must be. We're supposed to be in control of our bodies. That's the whole reason for having consciousness, according to the standard model. But that, but that's untrue. That isn't what consciousness is for. Consciousness is not for controlling our actions. It's for understanding our actions. It's for explaining our actions. And when we say we're taking responsibility for something, it's uh, to get back to the morality issue, we're not saying that we have some, uh, that, that because we caused it, therefore some uh, uh, reward or punishment accrues to us. All we're doing when we say we're taking responsibility for something is admitting we can respond to questions. We have the ability to give a response in terms of why we took that action. Why did we make that choice? And that, whether it comes from someone else or from our own mind, from our own consciousness, that becomes what self-determination, which most people call free will, is really all about. And that's why consciousness exists, so that we can evaluate our own behavior, not so that we can control it. And how good we are at evaluating that behavior includes 
how much our explanations correlate with the actual physical universe around us. Are we just making up excuses or are we seriously uh, uh, identifying causes that are beyond our conscious control? Okay. So it sounds like what, what I picked up from that was within a 12, a 12 millisecond period, we make the decision that's somewhat unconscious or, or like a, um, um, we don't have free will over that, but immediately right. within that period of time, we immediately say that was kind of like, say that was a good decision or a bad decision. So we kind of immediately maybe learn from that decision. And so what you're saying is that even though we don't have free will, we do have the con, we do have the, the introspection we have, we to have look back and say, okay, I, I, I ate that ice cream or whatever, and I shouldn't have, I won't next time type thing. Kind of, yes. Yeah, that's more or less it, although it kind of uh, over overextends it a bit. It's more just, did I like eating that ice cream? Or, or you know, how, how do I feel about having eaten that ice cream without necessarily judging it one way or the other? But just the fact that we are observing our own behavior from inside our bodies rather than from outside our bodies like everybody else is, that gives us privileged information that we can use to identify the cause the the reason why we we took that action why we ate that ice cream and yes whether or not we're going to regret it whether or not it's our favorite flavor whether or not we should have eaten that ice cream that's when the you know guilt because oh i'm so fat i shouldn't be eating ice cream gums but guess what the brain can still pick up the next scoop and shove it in your mouth there is nothing you can do to stop it directly you can only do it indirectly by practicing self-determination you're in charge of determining whether or not you are a helpless robot reacting based on your instincts and your genetics or whether or not you're a conscious creature who has intentions and purposes and goals that you are executing actions in order to achieve. That's your determination. <laughs> okay. You get to go back okay. and forth at will. So, so do you think the main difference, between, like when you said animals are essentially robots or whatever, do you right. may, think the main difference between us and them is just the fact that for one, you're saying we have consciousness, but two, we've kind of evolved. We've evolved to have consciousness just so we can make better decisions. Do you think that's the main? Yes. No, kind of so difference? we can make better choices <laughs> because well, better. Because, yes, well, choices using decisions is... to make better choices. And yeah, I, 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 I shouldn't try and quibble about which, which is which, but that's kind of important when trying to understand the. The, the basic mechanism of self-determination is separating out what we say is a choice and what we say is a decision. Because in, in the standard way of approaching things, there are synonyms. You just use them interchangeably. It doesn't supposedly really matter which you choose or which you decide to choose or which you decide to use. But if, if we're going to try and use this information to improve our lives and our society, then, then we ought to be, we ought to try and be a little more careful about which we're doing. So yes, you're right. That's what consciousness is. It's what we have that animals don't have is that okay. self-reflection, that ability to determine why we did something rather than simply, uh, 
continue doing whatever we're doing the way a, a biological robot based on uh, natural adaptation would. Consciousness okay, evolved, so- but after that, it's uh, independent of, of evolution. Okay, so one question I, I I wondered, which I think you just kind of answered, but I'm still a little confused on it, yeah. is like when I heard Sam Harris on like Joe Rogan or whatever, and they were talking about no, you know, he was talking about no free will, and exactly. Joe Rogan was kind of saying like, well, you know, like don't I have don't I have the free will to go to the gym and like get into better shape or whatever? And Sam Harris was like kind of saying, yeah, like you still are able to better yourself but you have no free will. And there seem there still seems to be like a disconnect there. Exactly. Me, right? Well, like- that's because the standard, the standard scientific approach is to accept that free will is impossible. Now, quite literally, we've known that, uh, that free will is essentially impossible for thousands of years. Uh, Epicurus, the sage before Socrates recognized that if the world works the way it appears to with cause and effect, you know, you, you, you let go of a rock, it's going to drop. You knock something over, it's going to fall. If cause and effect works and our brains are physical uh, uh, organs, therefore, then there can't possibly be free will. Our brains are simply, uh, uh, you know, the, one link in a causal chain. And, and you're, you're, which, what, what flavor ice cream is your favorite is not a conscious choice you make. It's something that is caused neurobiologically. Now, obviously Epicurus the Sage had no idea what neurobiologically meant because they didn't really understand brains and how they control our, our actions, our bodies. Nevertheless, philosophically, he pointed out that free will is impossible if the universe works according to uh, causality, uh, cause and effect, forward teleologies, I call them. Now, unfortunately, Epicurus then said, therefore, the physical world doesn't work according to causality. That's an illusion. And and went off on the idealist slant rather than the uh, physicalist or, or materialist uh, 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 perspective. But nevertheless, he did make it clear that, that is, that's where that distinction starts. Now, when, when we come to uh, our, our modern day or postmodern day understanding of how neurobiology affects our behavior or controls our behavior, then basically we, if you're going to take a scientific approach, you have to simply say, well, free will doesn't exist. That's an illusion. And that's the one Sam Harris uses. Unfortunately, without the the recognizing the significance and 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 uh, accurate interpretation of uh, Benjamin Libet's uh, experiments uh, in neuropsychology, you can't really do anything after that except say, well, there's no free will, so we're just like animals. And animals are therefore just like us. So animals also have consciousness and they can improve themselves. They just don't feel like doing it. And you aren't anything more than an animal. And that kind of denies consciousness and consciousness becomes just an after effect and an epiphenomenon, as they call it. Because they don't have self-determination, this theory of being able to uh, decide whether or not 
I did that because of the neurobiological causes, or I did that because of the goals and intentions that I have, and the ability to, f- to choose at will which is the correct, the best explanation for our choices, that is the essence of self-determination. But without that explanation for self-determination, Getting rid of free will kind of doesn't work. It kind of uh, uh, denies our humanity. And that's why most people, because science has done this for decades, that's why most people end up thinking uh, along the lines that Sam Harris does and also end up thinking that anything, any biological creature has some sort of consciousness. It must experience and feel things if you kick a dog it's going to react as if it feels it it's like well no it's it's feeling it and experiencing that feeling consciously are two different things it's going to react the way a creature should in order to maximize its reproductive potential that isn't the same thing as consciously experiencing it but how do you know that the dog isn't consciously well as i said you can't really know anything between beyond cogito ergo sum everything after that is some level of conjecture or other but that doesn't make all levels of conjecture equal so i can know that dogs don't actually i love dogs by the way i'm not an animal hater dogs love me and i love dogs we get along great i've owned several dogs i've i've trained dogs i feel wonderful about having dogs around but i don't project consciousness into well i do i just don't take it seriously when i project consciousness into them because i recognize they are just animals they don't really have conscious minds and none of their behavior shows that they would one of the 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 thought experiment i use to try and illustrate how i know this why this seems to make sense, is what I call the robot monkey, which is you are a, a, a person with consciousness and, and free will if you want it, whichever, self-determination. You're an, a, a, a self-aware entity, and you are stuck inside of a jo- giant robot monkey. You're in the control room. You don't know what any of the controls do, and they don't necessarily react very rationally. So you have no real control over what the robot monkey does. But you can see out its eyes and you can see lots of other robot monkeys out in the world. And they're all behaving more or less the same way your robot monkey does. Now, the question is, how do you prove, how do you suggest, how do you even alert the other robot monkeys? First, you have to assume that those robot monkeys might also have little conscious entities inside of them, homunculi. They might also have minds in them just like you do. That's called theory of mind. So you presume, well, maybe the other robot monkeys have a mind just like there's a mind inside my robot monkey. How do you signal to them that you're in there? Remember, all of the robot monkeys are already going through their daily lives. They're all pea zombies as far as we can tell. Are you familiar with the idea of pea zombies? Uh, no, well, I have heard. I have heard about zombies right. where well, it's like 
yeah a not, philosophical not, term yeah exactly when 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 the when a p zombie just means philosophical zombie that's what the p stands for okay p yeah, zombies yeah. p zombies are a, are a, are a thought experiment uh, uh an illustration that uh, uh Ch- i think it was chandis i can never remember his name chablis or chandis i think it's chandis the guy basically the guy who uh who coined the phrase the hard problem of consciousness he came up with the idea of P-zombies, which is, as far as we can tell, it could be that every other human being on the planet doesn't have consciousness inside of it. It simply acts as if it does, and there's no way to tell the difference. And there's no, there literally is no way to tell the difference, as long as you assume that it is possible to act exactly as if you have consciousness without having consciousness so you're stuck inside your robot monkey how do you let the other robot monkeys know that the or the other entities inside those ro- robot monkeys that you're there how can you signal to them your existence and try and find out from them whether or not they are there as well and the answer is you you got to you got a button mash all you can do is hit whatever controls you can in whatever random way you can. Try and get your robot monkey to do something illogical. Try and make it do something that draws attention and makes no sense whatsoever according to the rules that all the robot monkeys are acting according to in their day-to-day lives. And see how the other mo- robot monkeys react. And if some of those robot monkeys look at you and because they've got a a, a an entity a consciousness inside of them that is also trapped and doesn't know how to use the controls of that robot monkey but still has access to them how are they going to respond how do you think they would i don't know to be honest with you yes. Just get, how would you react if you were in that circumstance? You're stuck inside of a robot monkey and you had no indication that any of the other robot monkeys you see through its eyes are anything other than robots. But one of them suddenly starts acting completely irrationally with no explainable cause. Are you going to, are you going to project the possibility, well, maybe it's doing that because there's actually an entity inside that robot monkey, just like I'm trapped inside this robot monkey, and it's trying to signal its existence to me. So what are you going to do? You're going to mash the buttons. You're going to hit every control you can in whatever random way you need to in order to get your monkey to do that too. And that's why I know animals don't have consciousness. Because they don't react the way conscious beings would when faced with the world that we live in and having a consciousness within them. If, if we're trying to, to communicate with something that we think might be conscious, or if we're trying to determine if something is conscious and don't have any easy litmus test we can use, Really, the only way we can do it is by communicating somehow. We try and, and impress upon that creature that we are conscious and want to communicate, want to recognize or identify with the consciousness which is within them. 
Now, humans have been doing this with animals for as long as there have been humans, tens of thousands of years. And we have yet to succeed even once. Although, of course, anybody can, lots of people have convinced themselves they've succeeded for one specific animal. Oh, I know he's a real animal. I know he's got a consciousness in it, in him, because they're projecting their theory of mind into a creature that doesn't project theory of mind back. Because the animals aren't trying to do that to us. They're not trying as hard as they can in whatever way they can think of to try and signal that they are conscious. They're just eating and sleeping and fucking and reacting just like genetic robots would do. And that's why I know they aren't conscious because they don't behave the way a conscious creature would. Are you one of the few people who believe this or are there a good amount of people who believe? Very few. No, no. Like I said, this is a very unusual. Most people think I'm the devil himself for simply suggesting the idea that animals don't have consciousness, especially specific animals, not even necessarily dogs, but uh, uh, chimpanzees, elephants, whales, uh, dolphins, um, you know, the people love the idea, you know, they, they, they cling to the idea that animals have some sort of consciousness, just the way you, you generally, you know, started out with that approach yourself. And, and I, I, it's understandable because how do you know, right? Why don't you start out with the supposition that, uh, that they are conscious and then disprove that somehow. And like I said, we have done that. We do that routinely every 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 time, and it's always disproven. The animal ends up acting the way an animal does rather than the way an actual conscious creature would. Yeah. Okay, so you just think that somewhere along evolution, we just are the only animal that essentially gain consciousness somewhere very recent and it pretty much directly correlates with the massively expanded neocortex that we have i mean we're not the only animal with a neocortex but we are the only animal with such a huge neocortex in comparison to the rest of our body yeah okay so unfortunately i have to wrap up just because like the time of the day it is um, but I don't know if there's anything you wanted to go over before we end it. And if you ever want to come on again, you can to go into more, but I feel like this is the type of thing where we probably need three hours. And unfortunately we don't have that, but, um, if you want, yeah. So the, the question that I normally ask at the end is, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to go over real quick before we end it in terms of your, in terms of your, um, philosophy. Well, or... no, I, th- I think I think we hit the, the, the three basic pillars of uh, of the P.O.R. of the, the philosophy of reason, the new church of hope stuff, um, which is the uh, the, the self determination and how it doesn't rely on free will, uh, 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 consciousness and morality, uh, and, and and what that relationship is. The only thing that we didn't really discuss is language and words, although we kind of touched on it when we were talking about concepts a bit, um, because uh, uh, people want language to be a logical code. 
because they think that will somehow enable them to signal the other robot monkeys and let them know. Well, that, that works fine if there's only robot monkeys. Robot monkeys can, can, communi- can signal each other with a mathematical code. But if there's actual consciousness inside of our minds, we need something irrational. We need something that isn't mathematically predictable. And words aren't the uh, 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 logical, precise code that people expect them, wish them, demand that they be, and they're not improved by it, which again goes back to Socrates and his idea that in order to teach virtue, we must first define what the word means. No, you don't have to define the word. So I've got an entire uh, 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 theory of how language works and implicit versus explicit definitions and the relationship between definitions and meaning, but that would take, you know, another hour or so to get into. So I, I have greatly enjoyed it. I, I, I hope I've made at least a little bit of sense and I'm, I'd be more than willing uh, to do this again anytime you'd like. Okay. Sounds good. And just to cl- the thing that I'm still a little unsure about is just to clarify the free will thing. So it's like, basically when yeah. I make this is when I'm, when I make a decision, like as I'm talking to you right now, like literally the next word that is coming out of my mouth, I'm not consciously making that decision, but I may, or I think that what you're saying is immediately, but let's just say like, let's just say like, um, um, I make a decision right now or whatever. And then like a month from now, or not even a month, a day or whatever, I start to feel guilty about the decision. Or I say, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Then I have the, I, I still have the opportunity to change and make yeah, different no, decisions going forward. Well, right? that's so yes. even yes. Is that kind of correct? Yes. You don't okay. have to. You don't have to wait a month though. You can just wait the twelve milliseconds. You know. Well, yeah. Your, but I don't your necess- brain. But, but your there, brain but there has, are situations where I do. Oh, certainly there are. Certainly there are, and that's and that's the beauty of that's why it works in terms of consciousness. It's what the what the 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 successful adaptation is it's what the evolutionary advantage that comes from this is is that it doesn't matter what time span you're dealing with you can reconsider as well as you consider you can you can determine self self determination is an immediate ongoing thing your brain chooses which words you're using just like my brain is choosing which words i use before I am even consciously aware of them. And this is something that we are used to, but we're also used to denying it because we all know sometimes our mouths get ahead of our brains. We all know that when we're, dis- when we're explaining something, when we're saying something, there's sort of a flow going on. The, the, uh, the, the idea, the, the, the experience that athletes have when they're like, doing really, really great. And they're no longer even trying to consciously control their bodies. They're just letting things happen and it all works out great. This flow also occurs to us when we're talking or even when we're doing anything else, if we know for sure we're doing the right thing, because as the words are coming out, we're kind of observing as they go more than deciding up front. So our brains choose those words. The words couldn't occur unless our brain chose them. But our minds are merely determining 
why we chose them and where we're going from here. And that information gets cycled back down to the brain and the brain then makes its next choice completely unconsciously and beyond our control, which we then observe by, by knowing that it happened. Now we know which words are coming out of our mouths before anyone else does. We're only 12 milliseconds behind. And the actual words are a couple hundred milliseconds. Uh, uh, well, not even a couple hundred, but about 150 milliseconds, maybe 115 milliseconds after our uh, uh, conscious awareness that those are the words we're going to say. So there's, uh, you know, there's less of a gap. But the point is we don't really have a veto power. Those words are already coming out of our mouths before we consciously become aware of what they are. And so that flow uh, occurs, which is why I babble so horribly the way I'm doing now. Okay, so I have a couple of questions regarding that and the flow state that you were talking about really quick, yeah. if we can just go over them really quick. No but, problem. Um, I'll try and so, be sure. So first of all, when you, like, when you say that you, you, I say the word that comes out of my mouth that immediately... 12 mega 12 um milliseconds, 12 milliseconds. or whatever yep. i decide whether or not that was good or bad not, or whatever not 12 milliseconds after the word comes out of your mouth 12 milliseconds after your brain begins to cause it to come out of your mouth you can't stop it from coming out of your mouth once your okay. brain is already doing that so your awareness of it is only 12 milliseconds behind. The word doesn't actually, your lips don't move and your lungs don't blow until 100 milliseconds after that. Yeah, so, but so, okay, so so once you realize that, you know, you, you said the right thing or the wrong thing or whatever, even at that, or maybe it, let's just say, you know, back to a month later, or a day later or whatever, even at that point, isn't that kind of still not necessarily free will? Because whenever you feel guilty or say, I shouldn't have said that or done that, even that is somewhat uh, the same thing. Like, it's like, do you believe that part of the reason why we don't have free will is because every, de every decision we make comes from a, from a prior decision right or not even right. decision a prior exactly. um, event yeah. every event leads to the next but, event but i next, never say next. we don't have free will without pointing out but we do have self-determination so most of the things that you think about in terms of free will in terms of control of your life those come from self-determination they don't come from free will so the fact that we don't have free will doesn't change any of that yeah, the only isn't thing the that self isn't the self determination to a certain extent kind of the same thing in the sense that because I am who I am, I'm going to either feel guilty about something or not. Like if, if I do something really bad and then I feel guilty about it and I say oh, I shouldn't have done that, I'm gonna not do that going forward. That's still somewhat well, of a um well that's that's the thing is whether or not you determine who you are, when you say you're determining who you are, the gets a nice little uh, 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 dichotomous inflection there where are you simply, the word determine sometimes means to decide, to choose, to, you know, select. Sometimes determine just means to discover or find out. And which of those were, those, those connotations of determine is important in this particular realm, that is up to you. So, 
you do determine whether or not you feel guilty about something you said a month ago, but you also determine whether or not you get hung up by it. And if you're doing it well, you're not just finding that you feel guilty. You're di- explaining, you're, you're trying to discover the real, the true, the honest explanation for why you feel guilty. And if you do it right, and this is a, a, an article of faith, it takes a leap of faith. I, I, I understand that you're not necessarily going to believe it's true up front. But if you do it right, the feelings of guilt evaporate. And you don't feel bad. Now, you still wouldn't have done that if you had the choice. You still might regret having done it. But you're not going to take that as a a proof of a lack of emotional worth on your own part. And, And it's not going to mess you up because you're being honest, because you're being accurate, because you actually understand why you did it and it might not even if you do something like really bad like even even if if you do something really 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 bad and this is why (laughs) this is one of the reasons why i like this this uh 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 moral approach uh is because it literally seriously does not matter even if you do something horrendous The question isn't how bad you feel about it. Screw that. The issue, the question is, why did you do it? And if you can't figure it out, you need to ask other people for their opinion until you discover why you did it. I murdered my mother. Why? Well, oh, some people, be, some, some people, she pissed some people me off because she annoyed me because I just couldn't take it. It's like plenty of people get pissed off and annoyed all the time and don't murder someone that's close to them. You're going to have to go deeper than that. It doesn't matter how trivial or how serious the issue is. Self-determination is still valid. You still need to discover why you need the, the, the explanation you come up with to be the most accurate and honest that you can. And once you get there, you'll know it and you will feel better about yourself, even if you don't feel good about yourself because you did something horrendous. Yeah, so it's not so much about feeling guilty about the thing, it's more about correcting. Exactly, the guilt is just your brain trying to remind you, hey, you have this unfinished self-determination. You have not yet determined why you did this. So it's going to weigh on your brain until you work this out because it's important that you do it. It's why you exist to begin with. It's what your consciousness is for, is to know why you are doing things. And you can make stuff up. You can come up with excuses. You can imagine all sorts of fantasies about the devil made me do it. But if they're not accurate, it's not going to relieve your, your, your psyche. It's not going to resolve the cognitive dissonance that you're feeling. And you're going to be stuck trying to answer that question. Why did I do that? If you can come up with an accurate and honest answer to that question of why you did it, then those problems and issues go away, even though you still have to deal with the consequences of the action. 
Well, aren't there? Well, it's not even so much to to kind of come up with why you did it. It's more it's more to come up with that you shouldn't do it again, right? I mean, well, you can't know that for sure up front. You can't know that until you explain why. Sometimes you did something really bad. Well, bad in whose opinion? Bad how? Sometimes you need to do it again for the same reason. Sometimes you need to do it again for a different reason. You can't just categorically dismiss a behavior based on a particular explanation for why that behavior occurred, because every single action that we take is a separate instance that needs separately and not simply uh, uh, dismissed categorically. Yeah, well, what about somebody like Dahmer or something, like a serial killer? When, uh, exactly. Like well, they don't, then, seem, then well, they don't seem to have any reason. Obviously, like, quickly, reason. quickly, you get to the point where you're dealing with, well, that's a neurobiological issue. You have got <laughs> cognitive problems if you're doing like something is, like Dahmer. There is no but, reason, right? But even then, think- well, no, there's a reason, but it ends up being really uh, pathetically trivial. Like, well, this molecule in your brain responds to hunger, and this molecule in your brain uh, responds to companionship. And because your brain is entirely fucked up, by the way, uh, you put those together and you start killing and eating people. Now, it might yeah. not be a satisfying a explanation, you know, in this in this off the cuff kind of uh, 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 example. But if you if if that can actually be done, can be accomplished to, a, to in reality with a with a, uh, a given and, and a sufficient level of honesty and accuracy then yeah even even Dahmer can be can be saved can be fixed can be uh forgiven because yeah he wasn't in that, control of his actions yeah none of us ever are do you think that that um kind of like the explanation to like serial killers or that type of a uh, you know person like Dahmer kind of goes back to like an evolution there's like an evolutionary reason for it like um no 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 i'm i'm not i i don't i i categorically i i like to say i don't do things categorically but this is one i'm going to make an exception i categorically reject uh evolutionary psychiatry or psychology in Why? terms of our behavior is self-determined we de- we decide what we're doing there may be genetic uh, origins to some of our behavior. Well, there are. There right? may I mean... there may also be there obviously is organic origins to many of our actions in terms of our brain and our brain's chemistry and things like that. So you can say that serial killers are seriously fucked up, but you cannot, in my opinion, come up with a an evolutionary adaptation which explains that it's simply no they're, they're, they shouldn't be that way even if evolution makes it an advantage to be that way that's irrelevant because we're self-determined we deal with morality we're not just trying to replicate our genes as much as possible anymore that stopped 
when we gained consciousness. We yes, but I think, it, I, we think it's, I think it still lingers around. Like you, well, I mean, I we think didn't that... we didn't eradicate evolution. We didn't eradicate uh, uh, by our biology, but we did gain the capacity to transcend it. So when you're dealing with a serial killer, you know when you when you try and say, well, you know that's that's his brain. He didn't he didn't decide to do that. He just his brain chose to do that, and he couldn't stop it. That only works for the first that only works for the first murder. Everything after that is he's self-determined he's going to be a serial killer because he wasn't honestly and accurately dealing with why he killed that first person. And he, you know, it's it's not a free ticket to immoral behavior, uh, but it doesn't require trying to designate it as uh, 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 genetic evolutionary uh, adaptation and or maladaptation or well we were you know we were cavemen for for hundreds of thousands of years so those so those behaviors uh, uh, were were useful back then and they're not you hey what's up man yeah sorry about that mike i just i i i, I didn't catch that last uh that last screen bit and for some no, reason no. is still turning off on me no problem it's i really should just be using zoom from here on out but anyways yeah so we were talking about we got to end it anyways but we were talking yep. about this the serial killer thing and not only serial killers but just you know behavior in general i think there is a rationale for evolutionary psychology and biology because we evolved and you know there we were one way and now we're another and it's like I think it's a, a useful tool, and not only is it useful, but it's very interesting to kind of explain why things are the way they are. Like I think. Well, kind I, of... I, 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 think of it more uh, uh, the way that you responded when I said dogs weren't conscious. Like, how do you know? I mean, just because it seems satisfying to you in terms of explaining the way things are, that seems to me to be a dangerous uh, uh, approach. Where you're where you're uh, dismissing what uh, what people are actually doing based on oh that's just because for hundreds of thousands of years we were cavemen and you know especially in the, the iconic example I mentioned I guess after I got cut off uh, was was rape you know that rape increases uh, one's genes in the gene pool there really isn't any reason for not raping as much as you can. And the only bad thing about rape is sometimes you get caught and they remove your ability to rape more. I really, uh, I, I can't say that there's no validity to the Evo psych explanation, but I can't help but recoil with actually taking it seriously in terms of ignoring self-determination since free will we might as well ignore self-determination i i can't see it when we have consciousness we have to take responsibility we have to transcend our biology and relying on evo psych explanations seems to me to be the opposite of that it seems to be uh 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 uh, dis, uh, 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 forgiving uh, uh, bad behavior because it's natural and uh, that's problematic because 
the reason we have consciousness is because we do uh, observe and apply morality. And so we need to do that first. And although it's worthwhile to say, well, yeah, but there are physical, genetic, cerebral, you know, uh, 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 neurological uh, reasons for those, I'll accept that because it's true, but that doesn't relieve us of self-determination, which is when we decide whether or not those neurological uh, preconditioned explanations, the forward teleologies, are the accurate and, and correct uh, explanation for our behavior and the goals and intentions. You've yeah, well, I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily think that it's about dismissing any behavior or just saying, mm -hmm. oh, well, it's more about understanding. And it's like you, you, exactly. mentioned, the neuro, you mentioned the neuropsych, exactly. the, the neuropsychology and it's like, well, yeah. that that came from or the neurobiology, I guess, came from evolution. So it's like, you know, what I mean, our brains have evolved over the past whatever hundred thousands of years you know what i mean so well it's like, the basis of but the basis but anyways, of evo psych not... is our brains haven't evolved over the last couple hundred thousands of years uh we evolved up until then and we're still stuck with those programs which i understand your point and i and i agree there are uh, uh neurocognitive uh, uh uh premises uh, uh, uh neurocognitive uh uh, uh circumstances which do influence our behavior. But I think we need to consciously uh, uh, separate our understanding of individual behavior from that kind of uh, evolutionary biological uh, predetermination in order to experience and understand self-determination and morality. Okay. Well, to wrap to wrap things up, um, yep. well, one thing was is um, you mentioned like the the flow state thing, and do you, this kind of also goes to the evolutionary psychology thing. But do you think part of the reason why why we like to be in flow states and you know in these kind of situations where we're like totally not thinking and not almost not conscious or whatever right, is because right. it, go, it goes it goes back to thousands of years ago, like when um. It's just kind of like what were you? No, to I really, and... I really don't, and that connects to the the other thing you you mentioned. We we might want to talk about that we never did. That maybe next time we will we'll explore further down into the rabbit hole of what I'm calling postmodernism. I think the reason we love that flow state so much is because it relieves us of all of the anxiety that the current the standard explanation of of consciousness which relies on free will, even though free will is physically impossible causes. We know, our brains know that free will can't exist. Our brains also know that free will is the only explanation, apart from this self-determination thing I, I invented. Uh, it's the only real explanation that could explain our having agency at all. And so the cognitive dissonance between those two things, the fact that free will can't exist, but free will has to exist, that causes a lot of stress. <laughs> and that anxiety and depression is what drives most of the anxiety and depression. Uh, the, the, I call it existential angst that people feel. 
flow is such a cherished experience feeling because that's when that goes away. We no longer have to worry about uh, a conscious control of our actions. So I think it's, although obviously flow itself is, you know, evolutionarily deep, it's been possible since we gained consciousness to behave without feeling like we should be controlling our body. I think it never really became quite as poignant as it is now because we are taught from birth pretty much that that's the whole reason we have consciousness is to be in control of our body. And that's untrue. That's not what consciousness is for. It's not what it does. And having consciousness doesn't put us in control of our body. And so the, you know, not having to, to, to worry about that, cognitive dissonance is what makes flow so pleasurable it's why so many people including myself spend so long playing video games these days just sit there and flow you're not second guessing yourself you're not constantly trying to choose which button to hit you're just letting your body do it your brain do it and you're along for the ride you're observing and making self-determinations on a more strategic level of did that work out? Is that really what I wanted to happen? And so that flow is very pleasurable compared to the rest of our lives when we're constantly trying to exert control over our bodies that can be very frustrating because we don't ever have it. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you think about like, you know, like when we're in the woods or whatever, we're in nature and you hear like a, creek rustling or a creek you know flowing by and and you just feel like really calm and you know obviously everyone that, that would be more and... of, that would be more of a mindfulness than a flow i think um well, no no no, no. Which... i i wasn't i wasn't saying in terms of a flow state i was saying in terms of do you think that kind of goes back to um evolution thousands of years ago just oh, kind of like oh, being yeah. in nature? oh yeah yes definitely definitely yeah that's one of the reasons we can appreciate nature so well is because it is our, our natural, our native uh, uh, environment. Uh, uh, we would all love to be able to just live in the woods and walk around and eat fruit off trees. And who cares about any of this horrible civilization stuff we have to deal with all the time? So, well, yeah, the funny definitely. Thing is, the funny thing is, is like, but, but I don't think you have you to know, go to evil the funny is, to get there. No, 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 no. no. But the funny yeah. thing is, is that like, if you want, you really can. It's like, you know, everyone seems to be like, oh, I hate living in society. Not everyone. Some people well, like it, I think. But it's like, it's obviously it would be a very hard life to go live in the woods. You can but... try. Exactly. Well, it's supposed to be an easy life. That's the whole well, idea. I mean, it's going to be easy. It but is. Yes, it is. It is probably easier living in civilization. That's one of the reasons obviously. why some people are so drawn towards that kind of rugged individualism, uh, uh, hermit-like, uh, uh, out in nature in a in a log cabin with no electricity off the grid kind of thing. There's no. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we're we're not as drawn to civilization as uh, as, as some people might assume we should be. Um, because for all the advantages of it, it does not provide a lot of emotional succor and being in nature does being in nature can be very emotionally fulfilling and peaceful and, and, and energizing. And because it's, it frees us from all the, uh, uh, uh 
distractions and, and demands of other people. I mean, most of the things about being out in the woods is being out in the woods without a lot of other people around. You know, if there's a crowd of other people around there in the woods, then it's it's not really the same. It's not really the same uh, feeling that you get. Yeah. Uh, of and, being out in nature. Yeah. And do you believe that like we, the, the theory that like we are kind of one with nature, everything is kind of one, like you we can, are the same can, thing. Yeah. As, like, yeah. Yeah. Or something. Well, exactly. And, and, and once you, once you really, uh, 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 internalize the whole, uh, self-determination is not free will thing, uh, in, in POR, you, you recognize the importance and, and the profundity of that, that there are reasons to distinguish natural from unnatural. They're not necessarily valid. You know, none of them are ever valid in every case. This goes to the issue of language and words that I was saying we should save for another time. Uh, because uh, the, whether or not something is natural or not isn't a categorical, generic, always true kind of thing. It's a context issue. It's, well, it depends on which context you're talking about, whether it's natural or unnatural. Everything that humans have created through, you know, chemical engineering, it's natural. <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, it's it wouldn't occur by itself without our engineering, but that doesn't make it somehow unnatural. It's everything still, is natural, right? Even exactly, even, everything even is in some City. respect. Everything is natural, but in some respect, nothing is natural. It's all just in your mind. <laughs> and we get back to the idealist who tell you we all exist in consciousness, and it's kind of what they're saying: is nothing is natural. Everything is just cognitive. Everything is just your experience of it. There isn't everything's really anything like a, outside. Everything's kind of everything's kind of like a dream state for them. Exactly, right? like, might as well be a dream of. Uh, you know, what about yeah. you? We never, we never, and I, I, we can't. I can't go into it. But what about you? Um, in terms of materialism, so everything is happening inside of your brain, but there really is external stuff out there, physical objects out there, right? But you're experiencing everything in your brain, right? Right, right. Well, everything. Everything that occurs in your brain objectively occurs just as much as everything that occurs outside your brain. Yeah. But there is an additional level of things occurring inside of our brain on the internal side of the existential wall, the subjective or experiential or conscious level. And that's really what consciousness is that, that, isn't available anywhere else in the universe. It only exists within your brain. And that isn't a flaw. That isn't a limitation. That's like a superpower. That's just the, the what consciousness is, is things that are occurring in your experience, but not necessarily anybody else's. Not necessarily, but I mean, not necessarily. I would, I would like to, I, I would, I would like to believe that you are real and you're not just a figment of my imagination, right? I mean, exactly, exactly. Well, that's the yeah. I am you and the and the. Well, I didn't, I didn't get into that one with the P.R. Uh, the New Church of Hope morality. Um, 
the universal statement of consciousness and identity, I call it, uh, which is essentially the golden rule, I am you. It ends up being the same thing, though, as theory of mind and that ability to project. The you inside the robot monkey, presuming maybe there are other entities inside those other robot monkeys, you are projecting your theory of mind. That's what theory of mind is. Theory of mind isn't a hypothesis of cognition. Theory of mind is a, a supposition that maybe your consciousness is really exactly the same as my consciousness. If I if my consciousness was born in your brain, I would be thinking the exact same thoughts you are, having the exact same feelings you are, and, and believing the exact same things you are, and behaving exactly as you are. I am you. You are me in the same way. All consciousness is actually identical because consciousness is the ability to exert self-determination which is no more than explaining as accurately and honestly as possible why we take the actions we do. It isn't in control of those actions. Okay. And man, I really hate to prolong this, but I had one last question, which was the guy last night was telling me like in terms of like, or not last night, the last guy I was talking to right. in terms of phys in right. terms of physics, like there's yep. a desk, there's a desk here, but then, there really he was saying there really is no separation between the desk and the TV and the wall. Everything is like connected through atoms or whatever. Do you believe that that everything is just essentially well, it's all it's all the external universe is all just electromagnetic fields. Most of the desk is empty space. But how does how does that work if it's all kind of made up of the same stuff? Why why can I like kind of like see through the air? You know what I mean? But I, I can't see through the desk. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it makes sense, but it's also kind of easily explained. You can see through the air because of the uh, because of the properties of those molecules uh, versus the properties of the molecules in the desk in relation to the visual processing system we have evolved, the electromagnetic, the, the light waves bounce off the desk and travel through the gas. So you can see through the air and you can't see through the desk. That's pretty much all. It so comes down to. what is it all made out of? Then you said like electronic, waves uh, or whatever, but is it like atoms? Exactly. You take it down. No, you go below atoms. You get the particles. You go below particles. You get the, we don't really know. Quarks, some right? some scientists say they're strings. Uh, quarks is a smaller kind of particle that makes up uh, bigger particles. But then the question is, what are the quarks make out, made out of? You get to what are the quarks made out of in some, uh, 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 I'm sorry, uh, uh, physicists. Some physicists say they're all made out of strings uh, vibrating in 11 dimensions. That's and then you get to the question is, right? of, Then you get, to, yeah, that's string theory. And so you say, well, what are the strings made out of? And the answer, <laughs> quite honestly, well, they're made out of string. <laughs> there isn't any answer beyond that. What? <laughs> they're made out of string and vibrations. It's, it's, it's what's called the turtles all the way down problem. Are you familiar with the phrase turtles all the way down? Do you know where that comes from? 
I'm familiar with the phrase. I've heard the phrase before, but it can be used in many ways, right? Like right. Well, it it means always the same basic thing. There there was a a a, a sci-fi fantasy uh, series of novels. I think it was by uh, uh, Pratchard or Pritchett. Uh, uh, I think it's the the Discworld. Anyway, their cosmology was what is you know how how is the universe formed? How, what is the universe made of? How does it all work? And they say that the Earth is sitting on the back or their disk world, excuse me, because it's a big flat world, is sitting on the back of four elements, elephants, which are standing on a turtle's shell. So the question is, well, what is the turtle standing on? And the answer is, well, the turtle's standing on another turtle. And so you say, well, what is that turtle standing on? And he says, well, it's standing on another turtle. And you say, well, what is that turtle standing on? And the answer is, it's turtles all the way down. So basically, this is what I, in PO. You cut out again, man. If Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I caught out wrong. again. Where did I get at least, caught? Cut out. At least you, it was only like five seconds. At least you Tur- caught Turtles it. all um, the way down? Turtles right. all the way in, down, yeah. Turtles all the way down. In POR, the, 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 the term for this is the ineffability of being. Ineffable is a word that means cannot be uh, put into words. And being is whatever existence is. It's what happens because it's caused. It's what causes other things. It's what whatever's between meaning and purpose. It is being. It is strings. It is emotions. It is everything. It's just being. We don't really know how to define being other than whatever way you define it. You can define it a billion different ways, and there are still more ways to make up because being is ineffable. And that's essentially where turtles all the way down comes from, goes to, and that's what what particles are made out of. Well, they're made out of quarks, and what are quarks made out of? They're made out of strings, and what are strings made out of? They're just made out of string. They're turtles all the way down. It's what caused the Big Bang. It's uh, the ineffability of being. It is an eternal, oh, and man. it has to be. The important point is that it has to be internally unknowable or else it couldn't exist to begin with. It's what, uh, 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 it's why the physical atoms in the universe follow the laws of physics. What causes them to do it? What forces them to only behave in ways which are mathematically predictable according to the laws of physics. There's no, there's no, uh, some people say there must be a God in order to explain it. I say it's just the ineffability of being. It's the fact that it does turn out that way. We don't really, there isn't a, a why to it. There is just a, because that's what happens. Okay. And th- this kind of thinking or what we were just talking about, how everything is essentially made out of these strings or whatever, it right. kind of seems like it would, it would, it would lead toward maybe like we are living in a simulation and it's all just kind of like um, computer code kind of right. As, a, as opposed to like, as opposed to being like a solid object, it might just be kind of like a simulation. Well, that's, right? that's, uh, to, to, to cycle back to the beginning of our conversation, that's what many people find 
uh, uh, curious, disturbing, or, or enlightening, depending on how you put it, about materialism is essentially, if you're a materialist, it's the same thing as solipsism, as the brain in the jar, as the ineffability of being. There is, as, as the Cartesian circle, there is no way to know anything be more certainly or even as certainly as the fact that your consciousness exists. Everything else is secondhand. It all just is sense data that comes through our, our uh, uh, neurons. So, yes, that, that's what gets us to the brain in the jar and the simulation theory are pretty much exactly the same thing. They're interchangeable. It's just brain in a jar makes people think of a uh, of just one particular person uh, being a, a brain in a jar with a regular universe outside of it. Whereas when you're talking about simulation theory, it's like everything is simulated, not just what's happening to one particular person. But it ends up being the same metaphysical conundrum, which is the ineffability of being. It's a metaphysical uncertainty, we call it. You walk out of a room. There's a clock on the wall. You walk out of a room. Can you know that the clock is still there? You walk back in the room. Is the clock still there? Yes. But does that mean the clock was there the entire time you weren't in the room? What this if you is put it like what if you put what if you put like a video camera towards the clock and you could well, see that it was still uh, there? You, exactly. Well, then does the is the if you never view the videotape. <laughs> Does that mean that the clock might not have been there? <laughs> it's, I would it's assume. Metaphys- I would assume that. I would assume it would still be there. But well, that's of course you would because you live in a physical universe and you're essentially a materialist. You uh, uh, there's there's that's going to be your uh, 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 default assumption, but the 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 philosophically the point is we can't have assumptions if you're going to do philosophy. And talk about consciousness, because it's a philosophical more than a physical idea, you can't reject assumptions without exploring them fully. And metaphysical uncertainty is not something that you can get rid of. Because even though with a clock on the wall, it becomes easy to deal with, oh, I think, of course, the clock was still on the wall, because I have no reason to think it wasn't. But when you get down to quantum physics... And you start talking about spooky action out of distance and you start talking about entanglement and you start talking about the split, uh, uh, the, the, uh, what is it called? The split sot, split slot experiment. And you start talking about the delayed choice experiment. Things get very, very weird. And it isn't as easy to just say that things exist, even if we're not observing them as you might expect them to. Yeah, very, very, very weird, very crazy. Uh, do you believe we're yes. living in a simulation or no? Huh? No, do no, I, I don't believe living? we're living in a situa- simulation. I don't believe it's possible we're living in a simulation. I don't believe it's possible I'm a brain in a jar. I don't believe solipsism has any validity whatsoever, philosophically speaking. I think all of these things are interesting thought experiments and nothing more. Yeah, there's no real reason to live your life 
according to really any of these philosophical that's ideas, one of the that's, right? that's one of the reasons that's one of the reasons for directing them it's not the only one but it's a kind of important one yes they provide no uh uh no useful information even if you did take them as a premise it's like okay so everything's uh a simulation what does that mean it means absolutely nothing everything goes on exactly the way it was before except now you have to try and explain well who's who's running the simulation where is the universe what universe is has has uh, computers that are doing that and yeah. and it all breaks yeah. down it, it becomes idealism it becomes solipsism it becomes uh various uh, uh, uh metaphysical delusions yeah. Okay. So to wrap it up. Um, yep. So your book, if you want to like plug your book, I don't know if you've, you have a podcast or if you've been on any other podcasts. I, I don't have just... a podcast myself. I've never been on a podcast before. Yours is the first. Thanks for breaking my cherry. I enjoyed it immensely. The book no is called. You should, you Thought... should go on more. If the bu- I'm glad. You, I'm glad to hear you say that. The, the book yeah. is called Thought Rethought. And you can get it on Amazon. You search for thought, rethought, cognitive uh, consciousness, uh, causality, and the philosophy of reason. T Max Devlin. And, and when did it, when did it come out? How long ago? Oh, uh, it's been out for for years. I, I put it out. I think about three to five years ago, somewhere around there. Okay, and how is it done? Oh, abominably. Hardly anyone <laughs> has ever even heard of it. Yeah, like, I, I, it's like, actually like it's most a be- people, right? Like it's a best books. exactly. It's a bestseller according to the publisher, but then again, the publisher is uh, my sister, who only ever published her own uh, uh, books for her college courses before then, uh, which nobody ever bought at all. And I've sold a couple dozen copies, so that makes me a a best-selling author according to her. Yeah, well, all that matters is to get it out there. Just just like I'm exactly doing right now, I'm, right? I'm, I'm so. still trying. that's why i created the subreddit and and i'm i'm trying to get people to read it it's yeah a, and then it's a tough read i'll admit because as as you've as you've experienced over the last hour and a half it pretty much goes and it doesn't stop going there is a lot to cover and most of it is very uh different than what you're used to but it's there. And if if you've ever I, I can make this recommendation, if you've ever even heard of the book, uh, uh, Godel uh, Escher Bach. You should read Thought Rethought and tell me what you think of it. I haven't heard of that. Book, you've never but... heard of Godel Escher Bach. It's a no. it's a, a, a rant that somebody uh, wrote. I, I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. Uh, uh, a couple of decades ago, trying to uh, uh, formulate coherence from all of the various uh, 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 postmodern threads of logic and reason and uh, Socrates and uh, reality and consciousness and all of that stuff, tried to sort of uh, uh, produce a coherent explanation for uh uh, uh, existence and consciousness. Uh, I've, I have to admit, I did not read the whole thing. I got about a third of the way through it and just gave up because so, but some people have gotten all the way through it and congratulate themselves immensely and think that it is profound. And I don't disagree with them. I'm sure it is profound. Um, 
it's just most of it isn't really true. It's just uh, uh, idle musings of a of a of a hyper rationalist uh, who is absolutely convinced that because the uh, uni- the external universe conforms to rules of logic and mathematics, therefore human cogn- cognizance and consciousness uh, should also uh, 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 be reducible to symbols and mathematics. And I don't agree with that perspective. But thought rethought is kind of my answer, my reaction to that premise, to that approach. And so if anybody uh, who's listening to your podcast has read or even heard of Godel Escher Bach, I invite you to read Thought Rethought. Um, if, if I had it in my power, I'd, I'd, I'd click a button and give you a free copy, but I, I don't really have any way of doing that because I'm not in control. But, All right, sounds uh, good. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. What about podcasts? What about are there any good podcasts you would recommend to listen to to learn more about what you've been just conscious? Uh, no, actually, it's uh, the 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 philosophy I had to develop is too much different than everybody else's. Although, well, not, even, course, not even you, not even I would, just some you listen to that you I like. would recommend. I would well, I would recommend listening to every single one you can. And I can't say that Sam Harris is, uh, uh, you know, completely off the beam. He's got some very important and interesting and informative things to say. You just can't take what most of these uh, 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 hyper-rationalist, postmodernist, uh, 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 non-free will uh, 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 psychology-oriented uh, uh, materialists, you can't take what they say too seriously because they're still trying to deal with the fact that they have to deny that free will exists because it's physically impossible, but they can't replace it with anything else because they don't understand how s- self-determination works. So, they, you know, they get a lot wrong, but they, there's also a lot of important things to think about in those kinds of podcasts. But generally, I, I don't recommend, uh, you know, spending too much time on YouTube. Uh, I say go back to the old, uh, the, the OGs and read Richard Dawkins and read <coughs> Isaac Asimov and read, uh, what was the guy's name? He wrote a book called The Panda's Thumb. Um, he's an evolutionary biologist, said many, many wonderful things. Um uh, ended up being uh, he's more he's from the theist uh, uh, perspective. He says that uh, uh, religion and science are non-overlapping magisteria. He says, uh, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember. His- All right, no problem. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on, T Max. And once again, let me know if you want to go on. Come on again. I think I, I still think there's more to discuss. I just don't have the time now. Stephen J. Gould, that's it. Okay. All right. Stephen J. Gould. Read 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 that. Read as much as you can. But I know, you know, people prefer podcasts these days. And it it doesn't hurt to 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 listen to Sam Harris, but don't take him too seriously. I won't. Uh thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it, Micah. Um 
get in contact whenever you'd like uh, so we can uh, uh, go for a round two. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Thanks for your time. Bye. Hope it no helps. Bye-bye. It does. Bye.